0: I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. This is an audio exclusive podcast edition of The Open Mind. I'm honored to welcome Michael Waldman, president of the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law, which is really a pivotal organization to ensure the integrity and access to the franchise amid the pandemic of 2020. Welcome, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me. Very happy to be with you. Happy to have you here. So in the aftermath of the debacle in Wisconsin, what are you doing to ensure that states have the resources and the know-how to be able to implement um, mail-in balloting and any other remote solutions uh, that will not make people endanger their health to vote this cycle?
1: You're exactly right that that's the question. What happened in Wisconsin was a debacle. People were forced to choose between their health and voting. Many, many people who tried to vote uh, absentee or by mail didn't have their ballots counted because of the system buckling under the weight or bad court rulings. And if we don't have action, action as a country, we're going to have a lot of Wisconsins in November. This election was already highly consequential, we know, uh, and we were expecting record high turnout. With a system that was going to have a hard time handling that, and now the coronavirus and the pandemic could really make it hard. And we we have a lot to do to get ready uh, for for a real democratic and participatory election in November.
0: So, in the states that have already implemented before the pandemic, mail voting—Colorado, Washington, Oregon—if um, governors and secretary of states are being responsive to people's health and their need to be able to vote that way. Is that process ongoing in a seamless fashion for those elected officers or state appointed officials to convert? I know here here in New York, um, Governor Cuomo says for the postponed primary, there will be um, an option for everyone to vote that way. Uh, But are you finding that in the states that are responsive to the crisis, there's a sufficient amount of movement. I know Ohio, which has a Republican governor, um, it it seems as though they're moving towards a a total mail-by democracy um, vote in this November.
1: Yeah, so you're exactly right. I mean, so the first thing we looked at, and and some states are way ahead of others, um, but 17 states basically don't have the option of vote by mail or no excuse absentee balloting to give you an example of the of the uh, of the obstacles that a lot of voters are going to face we looked at this we saw the primaries being postponed we saw turnout collapsing in illinois uh, we saw even before wisconsin we've just seen what could happen and it's important to remember we're talking first about the primaries and they can move around the November election can't be, and certainly shouldn't be moved. It's going to happen in November. So we that's really, I think for everybody, the the real target, the real aim. So the Brennan center, first off, um, you know, we're affiliated with NYU school of law. We have a lot of experts and scholars and attorneys who really know the ins and outs of these voting issues and talk to a lot of election officials in the States. And we put together the plan of what we think is needed. No, one, Thing that is needed is the option of vote by mail, a universal option of vote by mail. Uh, and already tens of millions of people vote that way. It's not some alien thing. It's actually how a lot of people vote. And and a lot of people who don't vote that way don't realize you don't necessarily have to mail your ballot in. You can drop it off at a government office or something like that. But it does boost participation in the states that have it. But there are a lot of people who can't or don't want to vote by mail. Uh, by November it 's impossible to convert the whole country uh, in time to a universal to everybody voting by mail, even even if it was a good idea. So we have to have sanitary and adequate and available in person voting options. That means early voting, ample early voting uh, all over the country. Um, there's other things that have to happen as well. Voter registration you know isn 't going to be done by people with a clipboard in a shopping mall it 's going to be online. And states need to be strengthening their online voter registration, and we even have to change the deadline for counting votes, because we have to change the deadline for counting votes because they take longer to count paper ballots and, and mail-in ballots. Uh, so that plan, which is a, which is not only one, not only vote by mail, but other things as well, is really what um, over a thousand political scientists have endorsed it. All the civil rights groups organized by the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights are pushing it. Um, and Republican and Ele- Democratic state election officials are saying that's what they want to be able to do. The key next step is to get money. Um, states can't do this right now without more funds from the federal government. Uh, Congress, We estimated in our first analysis that this would cost $2 billion. Now we actually think it will cost more. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but two, at a bare minimum, and actually more. So Congress did authorize and appropriate, in the most recent stimulus bill, $400 million to give to states to help them get ready for the election. And that's great, but it really is not enough. So there's going to be a big push, and I hope that it doesn't require too big a fight, but a big fight to get Congress to do this, uh, to provide billions more in the next stimulus bill and in the context of what was for example a two trillion dollar bill that's that's not it's not too much money states are begging for this and uh, it is not a partisan matter the further away you get from you know the fox news green room and the national political debates uh the the less partisan this is um unfortunately in recent days president trump has started attacking this saying, first of all, he kind of forgot the script and said, oh, if we do these changes, it's gonna increase the level of voting so high, Republicans will never win, <laughs> which, um was fairly honest of him, I suppose, that that was what he was worried about. He forgot to piously intone about his worries about voter fraud. And then after a few days, they all got back on script and got very worried about voter fraud and that this might lead to voter fraud. But it doesn't lead to voter fraud. It happens all over the country, and there's no voter fraud in the co- Colorado and Oregon and Washington State and Utah and California that vote this way. So, you know, after Congress does its part, Uh, states have to really get going and you know state election officials they just want to do it right and they face real problems the people who who staff the polls are elderly uh, their technology needs it's going to be a very complex massive undertaking we can get it done but time is wasting
0: well thank you for, for providing that overview of the challenge and so the first challenge is funding since it seems as though in many states, there is the scientific literacy and, and knowledge that action needs to happen. Um, now, there is the beginning of that funding in the first stages of state laws being updated and discretionary spending. And then like you project you know, into the future, a new stimulus bill that has fund- further funding for states. And it's gonna, it's gonna be, even with the best of intentions, it's gonna be tactically a, a, a huge challenge uh, for the reasons you point out. But there is also the challenge of, of ensuring that the laws of the land respect the alternatives that are being experimented with. And um, that in the case of Wisconsin, the experimentation Was a postponement, and that was nixed by the state supreme court. Then, the alternative or extenuating circumstance was being able to submit those ballots um, on a different timetable and have them analyzed and tallied accordingly. So, how concerned are you, and what are you doing from a legal perspective? Um, It seems that states are going to have the funding if they don't have already for some for some kind of contingencies um on a state-by-state basis are you monitoring how this this um judiciary is is responding in real time Um, because you have the potential for a bush v gore repeat if it's a close election and there are disputes around particular states and their reforms even if they were implemented months prior rather than weeks prior
1: yeah and and you know the heartening thing has been that, from state election officials, from Republican and Democratic officials, the response has been uh, public spirited and not partisan. The Secretary of the Republican Secretary of State of Louisiana joined the Republican Secretary of State of Washington State just recently in the last few days to urge Congress to step up and. Passed more funds for this, for example, um, and again, uh, elected officials very frequently have been uh, acting in a in a uh, nonpartisan and wise way. I, I'm not totally familiar with, with it, but the governor of Ohio, Governor Dewine, for example, seems to be taking steps that that uh, are are pretty prudent when it comes to the election. the The scary thing is that some of the most partisan, um, and most uh, and and least useful actions are being taken by courts, who we all want to be able to look to as, you know, as um, Chief Justice John Roberts said in his confirmation hearing as, as umpires, not players. So in, a, 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 that uh, claim on his part gets harder to say with a straight face, you know, the more time goes by. So uh, it, it, what happened in Wisconsin Things were a mess in Wisconsin, and the governor waited longer than he should have to try to postpone the election, and it was somewhat chaotic in all directions from what I can tell. But when the governor did act, to take the same action that the governors of Florida and New York and Ohio and lots of other states had done to postpone the primary, the state Supreme Court just blocked him. And part of what makes that particularly galling is that, one of those justices on the state supreme court was on the ballot um, for for reelection, uh, and that that uh, uh, that right there, you know, the the politicization of state courts that has happened uh, really intersected with this.
0: And in any normal environment, that person would recuse himself or herself from that decision. Well, and maybe the other justices would too. <laughs> yeah,
1: but so they did that, and then as you say. Um Wisconsin is not a state that needed to pass a new law to make it possible for people to have absentee ballots. They actually have absentee ballots and vote by mail. But because of the pandemic, they got flooded with many times more requests than they usually would for have for that. And the system just buckled and people were not getting the absentee ballots that they requested. And so the um, lower courts and federal courts ruled, well, you know, if you ask for your ballot in time and you don't even get the ballot until, uh, until election day, um, you ought to be able to send it in, you know, and have it counted because you did nothing, you, the voter, did nothing wrong. And the system is just, it's an extraordinary circumstance. And that was the lower court ruled that way, The lo- the federal appeals court ruled that way. And then it went up to, the United States Supreme Court. And in a five to four ruling on the divided by the lines of which party nominated the justice, um, just like Bush versus Gore, uh, the Supreme Court said, oh no, this is too close to the election to make a change like that. Um, uh, if, there's nothing unusual about this election. It literally said that. And this is what's called a per curiam opinion which uh, means it's unsigned. My view is that nobody was willing to put their name on it. <laughs> and there was a dissent where the names were uh, Justice Ginsburg and Sotomayor and Breyer and Kagan that said, you can't be serious in saying there's nothing unusual about this election happening in the middle of of a once-every-two-centuries pandemic. Um, so... Uh, at one level, it was kind of a technical ruling, but at another level, it was very worrisome that we can't, so far, rely on the courts and especially not the U.S. Supreme Court, to protect our fundamental right to vote in this most unprecedented and extraordinary of circumstances. Absolutely, um, I, ho- I hope that will be proven wrong in the future. But uh, it, this is not going not something where the the judges in in their robes are gonna are gonna be the uh, the answer necessarily.
0: Right, right. And those are the technical questions that often arise amidst uh, the immediate, you know, in the the immediate hours uh, before an electoral contest or in its aftermath when there is a dispute because it is too close to call or it's still being counted. And, uh, So understanding what you said from the outset, which is that governors and secretaries of state are implementing some remote voting models that can be um, used judicially and extrajudicially too, what might be considered um, as the the means to ensure voter access and integrity um, because you have a court, a five-person majority that unsigned was not going to count the, the ballots in, in a way that respected the circumstances. And you had a state Supreme Court saying, we can't, we can't postpone this. So how, you know, do, do you have to wait until you get to those technical questions because it's too close to call and the election has just happened? How can you preemptively, um, in a way that Tony Evers really didn't do, but how can governors and maybe even national political leaders preemptively um, understand the challenge and take the action um, that's, that's necessary? Uh, or is it really just they have to do everything in their power to implement mail balloting and then when the election happens, it happens?
1: Well, look, um, you're right that courts make these rulings on technical matters, and if it gets to the point of it going to the courts for them to make the key decision, then that's a very unfortunate situation. And I mean, the Florida, you know, Bush v. Gore would not have happened. I I always have thought Bush v. Gore was an appalling decision in that they stepped in, the Supreme Court stepped in uh, when it did not need to. Uh, to stop the counting. But but it is the case that they did have a tie election in Florida. And so they didn't make that up. So it was a, there was a crisis before that. But you don't want to ever get to the point where the very flawed individuals who are sometimes are on these courts um, are, are the ones who are going to be having to make the decisions. So first of, first of all, we need a strong demand from the public that we voters want to be able to vote. And the politicians should make it possible for us to do so. Right now, that means funding from Congress. All this nonsense that, oh, it's going to lead to voter fraud to have vote by mail when tens of millions of people vote that way, and when it's never been a partisan issue before, that needs to be swept aside. Congress just needs to do the basics of providing money, not ordering states to do things they don't want to do, not an unfunded mandate, just funds for the states, just for this election. And then the state officials, Uh, at all levels, need to really get cracking uh, at making these changes. And and they should get help from the technology sector, from business, from people. There are all kinds of challenges. I mean, think about this. You know, who works at polling places? It's very often public-spirited elderly people. And uh, you know, we may have a, a period where we're sort of back to work or back to society, but where we may want to enlist younger people to volunteer to work at polls um, right. for all the obvious health reasons. And uh, it, it, we need to do everything we can as a society to get this system ready so that it doesn't have to end up in a technically uh, rooted, uh, perhaps. Partisan and ultimately indefensible decision by the Supreme Court.
0: Right. And there's no way to predict precisely what those circumstances would be, only to acknowledge what is predictable, and that is the contempt that Roberts and company, the five majority, have for the franchise. And, And when they're originalists, they're not originalists with respect to. The original mandate of the um, republic—you know, no no taxation without representation, and no no democracy without voting—and then, of course, the addendum of the fourteenth, you know, fifteenth amendments, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth amendments. Um, You know, just want to ask you, yeah? No, I'm sorry. We
1: we saw how far you know originalism. As used by the Supreme Court has always been a bit of a ruse in that um, originalism is especially used when it when it supports a pre determined politically predictable outcome um but when you look at the cases that the Supreme Court ruled on on redistricting in the last few years where they just washed their hands of they said oh we we won't do anything, we can't do anything to police." extreme partisan gerrymandering. And the case, one of the cases they did that in involved the highly gerrymandered legislature of Wisconsin, where the Democrats win more votes or or as many votes routinely, but only have a third of the legislature. And we see the consequences of that, you know, this past week in the election there. But, you know, the Supreme Court said, oh, you know, we, we can't get involved. Well, if you actually look back as you have in your research into history, and your writings about history, if you look back at what James Madison had in mind, the founders were very focused on what would later be called gerrymandering. They were very focused on representation. We all know no taxation without representation. They cared a great deal about representation. And there's even a clause in the Constitution called the Elections Clause uh, that was explicitly designed to give Congress the power to override state legislators who were going to be passing voter suppression laws and gerrymandering. They didn't use those words, but that was what they were talking about. And you can see the notes from the Constitutional Convention where Madison says we need a provision like this because you have no idea what these people are going to get, be up to. They're going to pass laws to make it so that their faction wins the election. Um, and it, it reads like a, a very modern and current diagnosis. So you know, if yeah. you want to be true to Madison's original intent, you have to care about the vote. Mm-hmm. And
0: you have to care about representation. And just to close, you know, knowing that all to be true, the, the contempt uh, of the current court and the disrespect for the franchise, um, I imagine two things you believe increasingly are true. One is that whether you want to call it judicial reform or um, you know, sort of democratic representation on the court, um, the idea of expanding uh, the court at this point to support something as fundamental as the right to vote um, may, may may be necessary in a new administration uh, to consider that uh, and, and to frame it as such, um, not as court packing, but as um, a democracy enhancement. Um, and uh, and so that's one point. The second point is, in order to get to the democracy enhancement, you have to win in November and support an agenda that will do that. And I imagine that the the stakes are not high enough for folks at the Brennan Center and their counterparts who are preparing for the onslaught of lawsuits in all of these districts and states. And you know, if, if you thought. Two thousand potentially uh, was a was a you know fiasco and and um, you know a, a lawyer's uh, retreat uh, into hell <laughs> uh, you know th- this this will be if it is a close election and there are questions about integrity is something that brennan and and colleagues will want to be monitoring in the weeks leading up to the election just as much as the day after the election so I just wanted you to weigh in on those, those two points, which is, in the current condition, you have to prepare for the suppression in every way, and then you have to enhance the democracy to represent Madison's intentions.
1: Well, you know, you're exactly right. This, it, it, this, the state of our democracy, and we see it in the response to the pandemic, The state of our government, the state of our democracy is utterly, utterly critical to the future of the country. Every other issue depends on whether we can fix our democracy. So democracy reform, really significant positive changes have to be at the center of American politics. They have to be a voting issue. They have to be a running issue. They have to be an organizing issue. There has been positive momentum ballot initiatives all over the country. for redistricting reform, for for automatic voter registration to give voting rights back to people with felony convictions, the House of Representatives last year passed H.R. 1, the most sweeping democracy reform bill since the 1960s, with public financing for political campaigns, automatic voter registration, national ban on partisan extreme gerrymandering and redistricting reform requirement, a whole bunch of other things, and the the. Uh, the, the fight is beginning to be joined, but it has to be a central central issue, and we need to insist that it be that way. Um, in terms of the, the courts and the, the aspect of that federal agenda that relates to the courts, the reform that, that uh, I'm most partial to and that the Brennan Center is most partial to is to look at the possibility of term limits for Supreme Court justices, an 18-year term, which would give the possibility, uh, first of all, every president getting to appoint two justices, nominate two justices, which doesn't happen now. It's very random who gets to do it. Um, would possibly take some of the poison out of the confirmation process because not every co- confirmation fight would be the end of the world. Uh, but would really also bring the court into far greater alignment with the tenor of the times uh, in in which it lives. My worry about, you know, expanding the court, court what's been called court packing is it can be uh, that yes can be done by statute but you know franklin roosevelt at the height of his power and the height of his popularity discovered that he had really touched a, a third rail when he tried to do that 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 seemed to people to be kind of a a a violation of basic norms of democracy wrong or right and and you know he lost badly and it really hurt his his whole presidency into, and, and the whole progressive agenda for many years, and I would worry that you you might see unexpected um, reservoirs of public opposition with something like court packing, and then the Republicans, should they win, would just come in and do the same thing so So I do worry about that uh, about that, but I think term limits are a different matter, although those do i should note require a constitutional
0: amendment michael you 're on the front lines here and We so much appreciate your and your colleagues' work to protect the vote, especially under these circumstances. So thank you for joining me today, and best wishes to you and all your colleagues at Brennan. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.